And we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 6, but actually this section of the scripture, scripture deals begins in chapter 5, verse 13, where the commander of the Lord's hosts, or the captain of the Lord's hosts, comes and tells Joshua he's taking over and uh, that the battle's already won. The one thing that we didn't uh, discuss last week was the fact that uh, the captain of the Lord's host, of course we know that was Jesus Christ in uh, pre-incarnate, was carrying something. What was he carrying in his hand? It was a sword. And whenever the Lord has a sword, his terrible swift sword, he's ready for judgment. And all the way back into the time of Genesis, when the Lord was talking to Abraham, he was saying the sins of the Amorites were not, was not yet full. Even during the wilderness wanderings, we see in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where the Lord said through Moses that the, that the sins of the Amorites were not yet full. Now, we see that there, the Amorites had the opportunity to come to know the Lord, just because we see that uh, they knew about the acts of God. And there was a woman and possibly many, some type people in her family that came to know the Lord. Did, do we not? We know her name was Rahab. She's mentioned eight times in the Bible, five times by her profession and three other times. But we see that uh, she was a woman of faith. And so even, and it's a beautiful picture of what God can do. Um, as someone said to the um, uttermost to the guttermost. But uh, God can save anybody uh, from any sin who will come to him. But now we see that God is ready to judge and he's going to use his terrible swift sword and he's going to be using it through his people. Now it's kind of interesting as we look at this, we hear this from the river to the sea and about wiping out uh, Israel. Well, actually this is what God was saying that he was, they were going to occupy the, the land from the river to the sea and uh, the people would be conquered. Now, Again, we're going to see even tonight, and even in the conquest, God gave opportunity for people to be saved. And even today, we know that God is about ready to really pour out his wrath upon the world. And we know that at the Battle of Armageddon, uh, he's going to come with a what? A sword. And uh, is there going to be great slaughter there? Mighty slaughter there. And so we see that God, God, when he judges, he judges very severely. He gave these people over a half a millennia or 500 years, over 500 years to repent. Um, surely, and then people, archaeologists say that Jericho was probably, is one of the, with all the layers of habitation there, was probably one of the oldest uh, cities on earth. It was uh, there as far as a location um, years before Abraham, probably maybe back during the time of Nimrod or back during the time of, was started back at the times of Noah. So surely these people would have been able to look south and uh, to there, the, the, the uh, north of the Red Sea, just a few couple of miles, a few miles, uh, all the way down south of the Dead Sea where Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. After all, you remember that uh, there was a great cloud that even uh, Abraham and others saw from miles and miles away whenever God uh, destroyed that. They had their opportunities. They had, they, God had, uh, had worked. And they, and we'll see even, in, notice in verse 1, 
that even though uh, they knew about God's dealing with the Egyptians and they had seen what God had done about the, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, and they heard about uh, the conquest of Israel and how that uh, their God was a mighty God. And only one, and possibly some in her family, whoever it was that uh, was in her family, and it doesn't give us a number, but it's interesting, in the most dangerous place on earth, they were in the safest place on earth if they were in that house, that uh, ark, that safety that they had come into. And so we see now that God is ready to judge and also God is and two, twofold here. God is ready to judge and he is also ready to give victory to his people. There's two promises there. He's dealing with the promise of judgment on sin and he's also uh, dealing with the promise of, of inheritance of his people. Now, in saying that, we have to set the stage that Joshua set, or Moses set back in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. In verse 9, he says, Now when you come to the, into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, this is Deuteronomy 18, verse 9, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall be not found among you anyone who <clears throat> makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft or soothsayer or interprets omens or sorcerers, or one who conjures up spells or mediums and spiritists, one who calls from the dead, for all these who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. You know what frightens me, folks, is that our country's full of this stuff today. Just uh, recently, or well, this week, we've seen some of the things, just the debauchery that's going on in our Capitol, in our Senate building, during Senate sessions. And things that are being filmed to be put out on the internet that are abomination to the Lord. And the sad thing about it is it's not a scandal. It's something that people are defending. And oh, well, just how far are we going to go? How deep are we going to go before God says the sins of America are full? And so I, I hope that's not the case. And of course, so uh, I'm like you. Uh, I'm not one that wants to see uh, destruction. I, don't, I want to see God bless my grandchildren and so forth. But now Jericho, back in chapter 6 of Joshua, we see the, word, the word, very word Jericho comes from an idea of the moon god. And uh, the moon god, uh, and of course it was, the, it was strategically located, the, the city was located at the fords of um, the Jordan where people would cross as a major access point where armies could cross or whatever else. And it opened up the whole central plains and the foothills of both Judea as well as uh, what would later on would become Samaria and, uh, and Galilee. And so once you went into that area, you can go north or south, and there was, um, there was no great barriers, or no great rivers or big mountains to cross or whatever. You had uh, open battlefields. And of course, we know in that, battle, in that uh, plain is what's called, what Napoleon called the perfect battlefield, and that's the Valley, Valley of Megiddo, which is Armageddon. 
So we see that uh, it was a, a place of great fortresses uh, in, these pla- in these areas, and yet it was a place of great debauchery. And these people lived in the things that he mentioned here in chapter, or, or back in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, are the very things that, uh, that Jericho was part of. And in fact, God said that this city was so um, wicked that whoever rebuilds it, will, uh, they will pay the price. Their son will be buried within its, uh, the foundations. And we see later on that uh, that's exactly what happened whenever Jericho was rebuilt by one of the Israelite kings. And so it's just interesting how that God... Now, we, today, we know it's the city of Palms, and uh, there are several Jerichos over there now. Uh, we know the, the place that, um, that Joshua conquered, but now there's a Jericho that's uh, about a mile or so from Anderson, closer to the Jordan or a little bit up. And it was also uh, an area that, um, that Elijah knew or Elisha knew about as far as the school of the prophets and so forth. But this area here, this city here, was not to be inhabited. God, it was like Sodom and Gomorrah. It was to be done away with. But notice why. He says, now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Now here, they knew about the God of Israel. Why didn't they want the God of Israel? Why were they so deep in their sin that, yes, they were afraid. We know their hearts were, uh, they were terribly frightened and dispirited. And yet, they would not turn to God. Jericho represents so many people that you know. And that is, those people, as Jeremiah says, they are willfully ignorant. They are willfully sinful. They are willfully turning away from God. And no matter what God does to them, and, he, and Jeremiah was talking about how that uh, he was doing things like with, withholding the rain and how that he was causing famine and causing people to see they needed to depend on him. And yet they willfully closed their hearts and would not accept him. And of course, that led to their final downfall. And you see that with people today. Whenever God deals with them and he deals with them through health or through finances, there are those, praise the Lord, that, they, that God knocks some sense into them and they get saved or they get right with God and they live for him. But then there are others that are so steeped in their pride or so, so deep into their sin and so, and so captivated by it that they willfully want it and they will blind they will not only will will their eyes be blinded but they will put their hands over their own eyes so they can't see the light they are as uh, i said they were they are blind and will not see not that they cannot see but they will not see and so here jericho represents uh, people like that they had seen god they had heard about his workings they had had uh, don't forget there was prophets all around uh uh, Joseph, or excuse me, Moses' father-in-law was a Midianite uh, priest until the Lord made the priesthood into, um, of course, into the line of Aaron. But uh, there were people around that knew the Lord, and they had heard about him. And God did not leave himself without a witness in these cities. They had had their opportunities for 500 years or more to come to know the Lord. 
and they willfully turned away from him. And what is so sad is that many of them now, generationally, um, their parents had turned away from the Lord, and now many of them, many of the children had grown up without ever knowing the Lord. And that's one thing I see in the generation that I came from, the, the, um, uh, the baby boomers. Sorry about that. I forget what I meant. But uh, there again, we willfully turned away from the Lord. Make love, not war. And, and people willfully turned away from the church. And now I'm dealing with people who, uh, they, they, either their parents or themselves, they went to church as children. But now I had a man the other day that was weeping almost because his kids don't know the Lord. And guess what? His, kid, his grandkids don't know the Lord either. And so how sad it is to see that many, and we have had a generation that willfully turned away from the Lord. And now, let, no wonder we have such debauchery in our country today. We don't have a foundation. The kids don't know. They, there's without hope. Uh, so we see that we're living in some very strange and perilous times. And so, you know, what I fear greatly is for our country that God's terrible swift sword is ready to strike on us. Uh, is it that he's saving, is he, is he keeping back his wrath because there's churches like us around the, around the country? Is it because there's his chosen people that he has decided to delight in in the midst and show his grace in spite of all the turmoil that's going on. I don't know, but if that's the case, I hope that we're part of the 10. If I think that was, would have been part of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, God would have, I hope that we're part of that, amen? And so there again, we're not the only ones. Even, uh, even Elijah got to the point where he thought he was the only one and said, and the Lord said, no, no, uh, Elijah, there's over 700 people, 700 out of how many thousands or hundreds of thousands, but there's several that I still am watching over Israel because there are 700 people that want to serve me. And so again, are we part of that that God is using to preserve this country? I don't know, but uh, if it is, it's not because of anything we've done. It's because of what God's doing through us. And so don't get to, oh, we're one of the 10. Boy, we're, no. Uh, if God is protecting us, let's humbly praise him for it and ask him to continue to use us for the preservation of this country and for the saving of souls. And so we have nothing to brag about if that's the case. I don't know. But, I, but we know that... Uh, that God deals with populations. God deals with groups of people. The word ethnos is uh, many times translated in the Bible, not ethnic groups, which it basically means, but it means, but they, it says nations. And so, of course, or, or the, the uh, English translations say nations. Well, it's, it's ethnos, which means all kinds of ethnic groups, all kinds of tribes, people, families, anyone that will stand for him. And of course, we, he came that uh, through him, all the families of the world will be blessed. All the ethnic groups of the world will be blessed. And so we see that he says now, Joshua, uh, that Jericho was uh, shut up because of the children of Israel and none came out. Oh my. Uh, now God's going to give him one last chance because we see in the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given, notice, 
Uh, there's uh, the old, I think, well, I don't know if we can use the term Negro spiritual, but that's what they were called at one time. And it was Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. It's a very emotional song. Uh, and uh, was it Joshua that fought the battle of Jericho or was it the Lord that fought the battle of Jericho? And here we see that uh, obviously it was, it was the Lord because, see, I have given you Jericho. So the battle's already won, Jericho. Now what you must do is go in and possess the land. He says, I have given you Jericho into your hand, its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all of your men of war. You shall go all around the city once. Uh, this you shall do for six days. Okay, we're going to march around the city for six days. Now, this, um, the area of um, Jericho was, many people believe, less than 20 acres. So it would be less than a, a square mile around. So it wouldn't take that long, uh, probably maybe for that many men and so forth, to march around the city. And at the same time, because of that, they, they probably would, and they would have to stay far enough out so that the arrows and all the things that uh, the people in Jericho could throw at them, uh, they didn't march right up next to the walls because they would be all kinds of things and protections that the walls would have. So they, that even if they had to march, you know, a square mile, four miles, five miles to be outside of the uh, firing range of the uh, of the people of Jericho, it wouldn't take them that long. Uh, and so we see that, um, the, that the, um, the, the, the men of war as well as the people, and he says, and so, and then again, they might've had to march in columns because if you have a half million people, then they can march around that. Or did they, they let them march around once and then just everybody just kept on going back to their camps? God doesn't tell us exactly what he did here. Uh, but um, we see that he says that you shall uh, do this six days. And the seven, uh, notice seven priests, number of completion, shall bear the seven trumpets. These trumpets are mentioned 14 times in this chapter. They were, they were the shofar or the trumpet that was used for the Jubilee where they proclaim uh, liberty throughout the land. And so these were trumpets that were to be blown. Now, later on, there would be a relay system set up where these trumpets, one would hear it, and then they would just keep blowing it throughout the land. That's one way that uh, they would uh, call up armies or whatever else. It was kind of like their uh, system. Every, let's say every Tuesday, we have the sirens go off because of tornadoes. Well, uh, you can hear them all around. Well, whatever they would do, they had a system where these would be blown throughout the land. But here... They are, the seven people are going to blow them seven different times and proclaim liberty throughout the land. This is a wake-up call. And God is still saying we are the, that uh, I am the God of Israel. And he's still saying to the people of, uh, of Jericho, there's still a chance. I mean, uh, look and live. Listen and live. And so we see that uh, thus you shall do six days and seven priests shall bear the seven trumpets of rams and horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall pass that uh, 
they make a long blast with a ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, uh, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go out, every man, um, straight before him. Now, this is so interesting about God's judgments. Remember in the book of uh, Revelation, you have the seven trumpets. And before, uh, before judgment finally fell from God, from heaven, there was silence in heaven. Much like here, where you have the trumpet sounding, but before the hammer came down, there was silence in heaven. And so here we had to see the Lord showing us what he's going to do later on in judgment of the world through what he's doing with, with Jericho. And the people were not to say a thing. And the only thing they, uh, that uh, was heard was to be the sound of these trumpets calling people to, to the Lord, to jubilee, to uh, have peace with God. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, called the priest in verse 6, and take up the Ark of the Covenant, let seven priests, so he knows he goes through this and tells them what to do, proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the ark. So you would have the soldiers before the Lord. We know there were 600,000 of them. So uh, you would have those before, and then you'd have the rear guard and you'd have the people somewhere uh, after the ark. But uh, it was a very prominent display to the people of Jericho as well as to God's people about who was in charge? And this, because this, folks, how many Jerichos, how many times do we see uh, this type of battle? I, obviously, the people of Jericho, by the fifth or fourth, the first day, I'm sure they were very, uh-oh, he's blowing the trumpet. There's the war cry. They're going to kill us. And then the second or third day, they started saying, these people are weird. Or were they saying, you know, um, I remember, or we've heard about Israel, we've heard about these trumpets, and we know how they worship, and uh, we've heard about uh, Balaam, and, we've, and all these different things, and what happened to those people uh, with the God of Israel, how he destroyed them. And we've heard about Og and Sion and all those people, and how that uh, they were destroyed and those trumpets were used. And maybe we need to negotiate with them. And like uh, Balak, Balak tried to do it the wrong way by saying, hey, listen, let's get somebody to curse the people. And why don't we go up and just talk with them and see, see what it's, what it's all about. I mean, why, why is their God mad at us or whatever? But no, because of their sin and because of their, their blindness of heart, they kept the doors closed. And of course, by the third or fourth day, you can imagine, uh, they were past feeling. They were still wondering, and I imagine they were starting to have a little bit of contempt. This, you know, these people haven't uh, raised any catapults. They haven't raised any siege works. They haven't tried to. Uh, they, we don't see any ladders where they're going to crawl over the, or where they're going to put them up on our ramparts or whatever else. We don't see any uh, tunneling tools where they're going to dig under our walls. We don't see any ra battering rams that are going to bash down our our gates. What are these people doing? And so God was creating a, a, uh, a, a situation with them where they were very perplexed and curious. And, you know, God does that. Uh, we saw Jesus do that over and he would say something 
to the Syrophoenician woman or someone else. And they would say, what did he say? Why was he doing that? And then they would come and talk to him, the woman at the well. You think about her now that he talked about uh, rivers of water. What are you talking about? And then, of course, he just was able to just keep pulling her in through her curiosity. And so here, this would have been a great reason to be very curious about what this God who had destroyed the strongest army in the world, who had done all these things and had, we have seen, and we're not that far from the Jordan and many of these people that uh, were out there in their farms and everything, now they've occupied those, those farms and they're, taking, they're eating the grain, uh, but now they're in the city. They saw all that stuff going on. They saw that big uh, wall of water. Uh, what's going on? Let's, if you can't beat them, join them. But we don't see that. We see the heart of man is desperately wicked. How sad it is that when man turns away from God, like Satan, Satan's been beaten so many times, but God's blinded his eyes. He can't turn back. And God said that they did not want to retain God in their knowledge, Romans chapter 1. Therefore, what? God gave them over. God gave up on them. We see that God even did that with Israel when he said to Ephraim, which is the northern ten tribes, and he was about ready to destroy them. He said, Ephraim has joined himself to idols. Let him alone. Folks, uh, I like to tell people, uh, you know, uh, that's the last thing you want God to do is leave you alone. I mean, if you're under conviction of sin, if you are, uh, you're really feeling miserable because you feel, you know, you're out, out of search with God, the last thing you want him to do is leave you alone. Amen? When he leaves you alone, you're in trouble. And so we see that, uh, that these people wanted to be left alone. Just go away. You know, we, uh, we got these big wall cities and you haven't shown us anything that you can whip us yet. And so we see that uh, they just wanted, they just, uh, they figured they could, uh, you know, they were a big city. They had, that this is one of those cities that had those high walls. They weren't worried about it. In verse 8, and so it was, when Joshua had spoken to the people, that the priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the Lord, and they advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests and blew the trumpets. And the rear guard, I asked last week, uh, why did God do this? And why did God allow the priests to be out there? Because, notice, this wasn't really a battle. God had already won the battle. Did the priest go in and uh, with the sword? No, that was for the soldiers to do. The ark stayed outside. So this was, the, the battle was already over. God said, I've already given them to your hand. And so uh, now later on, whenever they, Israel did fight physical battles, the ark was not to go. But God says, I already won this battle. And so that's the reason the ark and the priest are out there because there was no big battle. The battle was the Lord's. And so we see that uh, now Joshua in verse 10 uh, had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout, don't say a thing, silence, uh, and make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day that I tell you, that I say to you, shout. And so he's given great commands. Uh, there again, I'm always wondering about this, the, uh, the tactics here. Well, uh, how do you do these things? Joshua said to the people, how do you say that to, uh, to 500,000 people or to a million people? You know, I wonder how did he 
was able to talk and obviously he probably talked to his generals. And that's another thing. You never see the generals. You never see any leader in Israel rebel against Joshua as they rebelled against Moses all during this time. It's interesting. And so, uh, but we see that, uh, and you can imagine Joshua probably had a uh, general council. He got his generals together. He got his leaders of the tribes together. And he said, this is what's going to happen. But we don't see that, but obviously there was a lot of administration going on here. Notice in verse 12, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark, and the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of horns before the ark of the Lord, and they, continue, and they went forward continually blowing the trumpets. That must have been weird. The only thing that you heard was those weird ram's horns blowing. And, uh, and the second day it goes on and it came to pass, verse 15, on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day. And this is going to be a seven, uh, seven lap trip. So they had to get up a little earlier this time. Um, and they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on that day, only this, uh, they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh day, it, it happened that when the priests blew the trumpets and Joshua said to the people, I'm sure there was a relay, they said, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Notice, we're, shout because we're going to whip the city. No, God's already given it to us. Folks, you realize that God's already given you an inheritance? God's already given you great and precious promises. God's given you, but Paul says, but thanks be to God, which has given us, not that he will give us, but that he has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The weapons of our, of our wealth warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. God's already promised that. And so notice there's a fine line between doing the work of God and following the Lord and as he does the work. And so as a church, you know, there are certain things that we can do. But notice these people got up early in the morning. First thing they did was obey God. And God went before them. And God had already done the work by the time they got there. And so, so many times in our lives, you know, we try to do the work in our own way. Why don't we start out with God? And why don't we start out with, Lord, uh, what are you doing and how do we join you? And so we see that uh, Joshua was a man of action, but he was a, a man of obedience. He followed the leader and the captain of our salvation, the head of the church, the whatever you want to call him. Uh, do we listen to him first before we make our plans or do we make our plans and then ask him to bless them? But it's interesting how that Joshua threw his plans out the window when he met the man with the sword in his hand, of course, the Lord Jesus. And so we see that, uh, that, that the Bible tells us that um, the people blew. And he says, uh, and, and, but notice also the things. Now, he didn't say this all at this time. Of course, this was something he'd already told the people. Um, he said, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord for destruction. And it will be, uh, and it and all that are in it 
Only Rahab the harlot will live. Now he didn't stand it. Okay, now folks, no, he probably already told them this ahead of time or the leaders ahead of time. So they already had their special attention. The one thing that he probably said that was relayed around the city was shout. The rest of this was already spoken. But he said, she and all who are in her house because she hid the messengers as she went. And you, by all means, shall abstain from the curse. Don't touch them. Don't be around this because this city is the first fruit. This is God's city. The only thing that you're to take is the... Um, those, if, if they've talked about how that uh, they, uh, the one uh, movie or the one uh, video that we saw back several months ago now was about the excavations of Jericho and how they, even in the excavation, still found grain that was burned. I mean, the tops of the grain was burned, but there were still some down on the bottom of some of those huge bins that they would have had for those cities. But uh, why did the Lord say, why, okay, uh, he says in verse uh, uh, 19, but all the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron um, are consecrated to the Lord. They're, they're, they're mine, the first fruits. For because I've, this battle I've won, then you're going to go and you're going to earn your uh, keep. But this is the first fruits of the battle. Uh, they shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Isn't it interesting how the Lord does this? He, the Lord finances his work. And so we see that the, those priests, we know that uh, those, uh, the, the feeding of of the people and the temple. I mean, it costs a lot of money to have that type of priesthood and everything else. And God had a way of doing his work and so uh, financing his work. And so we see the first fruits and that's what we offered this morning as our first fruits to the Lord. I got to the point where I really enjoy on a Saturday night. I usually wait till Saturday afternoon just in case the Lord sends me a little extra. You know, just to, our mail comes in about two o'clock in the afternoon. I say, oh, I'm going to wait around just to see if God gives me that million dollars I've been printing. No, I don't pray for a million dollars. I like to say, uh, someone say, how you doing? And I'll say, uh, nothing that a million dollars wouldn't solve. But if that's all I need, I'm in very good shape. Right? I don't need a million dollars. I just need the Lord. Amen. And so, uh, again, uh, you know, uh, so if all I got problems is a little bit of money can solve, I don't have many problems. Now, of course, I do have problems, but, you know, that's a little saying. But here, uh, the Lord got his million dollars. He got whatever he needed uh, for his work. And so uh, it was his first fruits. And I, I enjoy writing that little check out, little check, or it's a, well, whatever. But, you know, uh, and uh, I love the fact that, that time, most of the time I can give a little extra. Isn't that fun? I mean, just really fun. I, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, so Lord, make me cheerful. Amen. I like, there was down south every once in a while, they'll have a hallelujah offering. And if somebody puts it, they'll have the usher. And if they see a dollar in the offering plate, they will say glory if they, it goes on down. But if somebody puts a $100 bill in, it's hallelujah. But you don't get too many hallelujah offerings. But, just, <laughs> but uh but there again today, nobody has cash. They have credit cards and everything else. So I don't know what they would do down there with that now. But of course, this was, hey, listen, you do the battle, but you, give, you make sure that whatever is in there is given to the Lord. 
we're going to see a guy that's much like uh, Ananias and Sapphira in the next chapter who really threw a, a problem with this, a guy named Achan, who didn't do what God told him to do. And we're going to see the problems with that. Uh, very quickly, we see that in verse 22. Well, let's go back to verse, uh, just one thing, verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkey with the edge of the sword. Um, genocide? What was it? No, this shows us when God is through with someone and he is ready to judge, he judges very, very severely. Battle of Armageddon is going to be a good example of that. Uh, the tribulation is a great day of that. Um, when you have 90-pound hailstones falling on, every, you know, on uh, everyone alike, you can imagine uh, there's going to be so uh, people, all kinds of people that are going to be destroyed. And so we see that the, the wages of sin is death. And this is one time when God was through with the people. Now, later on, this is going to happen to Israel. And we see the Assyrians come in. And the Assyrians totally obliterated the northern ten tribes. They're, that's the reason we call them. The, it's a misnomer. They're not the lost ten tribes because many of the people migrated down to Judah. And then they were exiled. But uh, as a nation, they ceased to exist. And oh, the, the carnage that happened to Israel because of God's judgment. Israel, Ephraim has left himself to, uh, as, as uh, um, given to idols. Let him alone. And so God judged them very severely. And so we see that this is one of the ways in the Old Testament God, God judged men. We don't see that in the New Testament. We are not, the church is not the, the one to have the terrible sword. That's God now. But back then, this is the way God took care of some things. Now in verse 22, But Joshua, when he saw the two men, he said to the two men who had spied in the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all, and all that she has uh, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. I wonder who else was there. The most dangerous place in the world on that day would have been on the walls of Jericho, unless you were in that house, and it would have been the safest place in the world. Folks, when we're in the center of God's will, until he's through with us and ready to take us heaven, we are well nigh invincible. And so we see that uh, God fulfilled his promise. And not only Rahab, but her father and her mother and brothers. We wonder how many. We don't see much of them or hear much about them uh, whenever they brought it. But we know that Rahab became an heir, or excuse me, an um, ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that shows us what God can do with the depth of depravity when someone turns from those depths to the, to the great Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they burned the city and all that was in it, 
only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put in the treasury house of the Lord, somewhere around that ark. And Joshua spared Rahab and Harlan and her father's household and all that she had. So she dwells, that present tense. So it tells us that this book was written within a generation of Joshua. So this was, well, possibly Joshua. Well, Joshua, he's recorded to dying. So it might have been some young man that became an older man that wrote this. We already see that it said we. So he was an eyewitness of this. So she, dwe- so she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent the spy Jericho. Then Joshua charged them from that time, said, Cursed is any man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. He shall lay his, his foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest he shall set up the gates. He's going to lose two, two boys at least. And the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the country. So remember the Lord said, I'll be with you. And so God blessed him. But then he put, it was God who gave him the fame. I like what someone said, uh, you take care of the depth of your relationship with the Lord. The Lord will take care of the breadth. He will let other people know about your fame or whatever he might want to give you. But here we see that God is now working with this obedient servant. But in just closing, let's turn over and just see what God says over in that great faith chapter in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And again, just a couple of things before we close. In Joshua, or in Hebrews chapter 11, of course, we hear about Rahab. But notice how that even he uh, classifies what God did at Jericho. In verse 29, by faith they passed through the Red Sea on dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so and were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled seven days. Does it say that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho? No. It was by faith. Who, who made those walls fall down? It was the Lord Jesus. It was our Father. <laughs> it was God, let's put it away. Uh, by faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies in peace. Notice her faith worked. And she was willing to identify with God's people even at great peril. And so... We see that it was her faith uh, she did not perish with those, those who did not believe. Implication there is they could have believed, but they chose not to. And so out of all the people in that city, just one woman and those close to her, anybody that was in that house, friend or foe, would have been spared. Flee to the ark of safety. How many people went into the ark? The, the big ark, <laughs> Noah and his faithful family. And the rest of the world was destroyed. But now then look with me in the next chapter in verse 12, chapter 12, and we see that he says um, in verse 25, here's after saying all that about Jericho and others, he says, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. When God speaks, listen to him. 
For if they did not escape who refused him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. So be careful. If God speaks, you better listen. Whose voice shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, yet once more I shake until only the earth, not only earth, but, but heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those who are being shaken as of things that are made and that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Now, it's pointing to, is the world, is the, is the earth going to shake again in God's judgment? Yes, it is. But at that time, it's interesting, there are angels, and the only time we see in the Bible, angels preaching. And they were, they were preach, remember him who created the heavens and earth. And God gives man one last chance to accept him as his personal savior before the end comes. And so again, uh, we see that God gives chances. God Amen. still loves you. And no matter what your sin, no matter how deep and, and depravity, and if she, came, if she was a harlot in a city that was full of all kinds of debauchery, you can imagine just how low her sin was. And yet God forgave her. And God used her. And God greatly blessed her. That's why I love whenever someone comes my way and they, boy, they've got things that I have no idea how to deal with. I mean, I mean, as far as I can't bring them out of it. But the one thing I could offer them is hope. If God can save a woman like Rahab and deliver her from judgment, can God judge the deepest of the deepest sinners? Can not God not judge, cannot God bless you no matter what your sin is? Pastor, God can never forgive me. Yes, he can. God can always forgive you. And he delights in restoring people to his, and making them a trophy of his grace. And here we see this woman, lowest of the low, and yet she's included in the Hall of Heroes and also in the book of Matthew, she is included in the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. What more honor could you have on earth than to have that type of grace bestowed because you believed in him? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you give us many chances. And Lord, uh, when you speak, may we listen. Oh, Lord, we pray that your word will be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, that we will seek you daily. As we see a world that is shutting up its gates against you, as we see people that are openly mocking you and deriding the, your past actions, oh, Father, we pray that you would realize May we realize that you've already won the victory. You've already showed us what's going to happen. We've read, read the last pages. We know where the victory is. And yet, Lord, there's the battle. So, Lord, whatever you're doing, we know that things are changing. The world is changing so quickly around us. Doom seems to be in the air. People keep saying that uh, it can't keep going on the way it's going to go. 
And yet uh, they don't have an answer and they do not want to turn from their sin. And so, Lord, we pray that no matter what happens, we know that we have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that promise. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you'll fight for us, you'll protect us, you'll watch over us, and you will give us the victory as we serve you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.